Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White, joined today by Dr. Philip Lancaster, Dr. Bob Larson, Dr. Dustin Pendle, and Dr. Brian Lubers. Good morning, guys. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, morning Brad. Brad. Happy to have you guys with us and happy to have you with us listening as well. As always, we're happy to have questions from listeners and we've got one today. We've got a great one that I think we'll have some good discussion on relative to profitability in the cow-calf herd. We've, we're also going to follow up some. We had some discussion last week and after we got off the podcast, we had some follow-up discussion and, and the guys were saying, what about this or that? So we're going to talk a little bit more about the topics of last week, which were breeding our heifers a little bit earlier, as well as how we manage those cows with body condition through the winter. And then we'll touch on a new test for bovine respiratory disease or BRD that has come out. And if you want to send us a question, if you'd like us to talk about a specific topic, you can certainly email us at bci at ksu.edu. Also a great way to sign up for our weekly email newsletter that comes out, which has information from the podcast, but also updates on research that we do here at BCI relative to some of the different diseases, animal health, economic issues, or pharmacology. So before we get into those topics, guys, I got to ask you, we just came through the Christmas holidays. We just came through bowl season for college football. We're heading into NFL playoffs. What is your go-to? You're going to sit down on the couch. You're going to be watching football. What's your go-to snack you're bringing with you or getting ready for when it's game time? This is playoff level snacks, right? Not just your average, I'm going to get a bag of chips. Well, this may not be particularly fancy, but this is both my wife and I's favorite football snack is the little Smokies in barbecue sauce. So you just put them in a crock pot, let them go. And you just, just keep going, you set that right behind the couch and you just keep coming back to it all game long. Sounds like a lot of work though. <laughs> it's not that, no, it's not really that bad. You just put it in the crock pot and put some barbecue okay. sauce in and let it warm up. <laughs> I'll, I'll right. go with uh, uh, Buffalo wing dip. That's what we mean. Ooh. It's it's slightly more technical than putting little smokies in a crock pot, but just by a little bit. Excellent. Philip? Yeah. Whenever we kind of have a snack night or whatever, Sarah makes these like pinwheels things or like it's cream cheese and other stuff wrapped up in a tortilla. The, I like those. Those are pretty good. I'm more of a obviously simplicity is my my go to. Uh, you know, various kinds of cheeses crackers along with the different kinds of salamis and this and that nothing nothing fancy uh but you can just sit there and snack and yeah some kind of nice uh a seven layer dip or a some other kind of dip that goes with chips because you got to have the chips to go along with it so hopefully you have some good snacking time this way it's a good time to stay inside in the winter when it's cold and and get a chance to snack I wanted to follow up, guys, from last week, we talked to Dr. Coons from Alltech and appreciated her joining us. And I wanted to follow up on that conversation. And there were really two areas. One that came up after our conversation, you guys talked a lot about, okay, if we've got cows that are thin, we may want to sort them off. We may want to feed them a little bit separately. And one of the follow-up topics I'd like Bob and Philip, I'd like you guys to chime in on, we then started talking about, should I also be sorting my hay? What are the pros and cons to that? Oh, from a nutrition standpoint, and I think even from a cost standpoint, if I can better match the nutritive, nutritive value of my hay or the quality of my hay with the nutrient requirements of the animal, it's going to require less purchased supplemental feed to meet those nutrient requirements. And so that 
that could decrease my, my overall winter feed costs if I can do that better. And so maybe, you know, think about the priority of the nutrient requirements of your different classes of cattle on the ranch. And, you know, I think both Philip and I like to get, um, you know, um, uh, a forage analysis if possible. And a lot of times we know just by when we cut the hay, you know, um, not all hay, let's, let's, let's say not all hay is cut at the ideal time for the nutrient value of the hay. And, and we kind of know that. And so just having a storage plan where you can put kind of the hay that was cut at just the right time in one part of the storage area and hay that was cut a little bit late in another part and just then using that knowledge is, is pretty darn helpful, even without, you know, true um, forage analysis done. Yep, absolutely. And I, and I think that's a, that's an important part to think about as we're planning out how we go through the winter. Also, we talked last week about calving those heifers early, and I wanted to follow up on that topic as well. And, and we talked about having them calve early so that they have more time to recover. But there's also some other benefits because they may calve in a relatively tight group. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So one of the things about getting, and actually there's, you think about, there's a couple health benefits to having the calfer, calves. There's a couple health benefits to having the heifers calve early. Uh, the, the first one is, you know, as you mentioned, letting them be able to recover for the, the next round of, of the cycle. And then the other part is the labor issue. And, and I, we hear a lot about labor shortages. And so um, we know that, that heifers are going to require the most investment of labor at calving time, right? And so having them grouped up front um, when you're, you're fresh and you're not worn down by a long calving season um, probably has some benefits as far as, you know, you're, you're more alert, you're more able to intervene. Um, and probably have some some better outcomes by having that group go first. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The other thing that maybe that we didn't say clearly enough is not only do I like to have the heifer breeding seasons start a little bit earlier than the cow breeding season starts, I'd like it to end pretty early too. In other words, uh, there's a couple things going there. One is really to put selection pressure on heifers that get pregnant early in their first breeding season. And so by shorter, you know, if, if and I, you know, I hate to say a real prescribed number, but if, you're, if your cow breeding season is 65, 75 days, I'd really like those heifers to get bred in 45 days or less. And, and basically 30 would be nice. Now, the, the negative of that is now, now I've put some costs into developing the heifers and I don't get as many of them pregnant, but hopefully, you know, especially if I, if I lead it off with an AI or really do a good job having those heifers ready, most of them, a high percentage will be pregnant within 30 days of the start of a breeding season. And so those few that you get pregnant later, um, I, it, it, it does a lot of things. It, it extends out my heifer calving season. It makes those heifers, those late calving heifers more likely to be open that's following year and things like that. So not only do I like heifers calving ahead of the cows, but to be finished calving way up, well ahead of the cows. You know, one of the things that, that your, your comment there made me think of, you know, we could, we could go ahead and have a longer breeding season for those heifers, but we get the veterinarian out there early enough where we can diagnose uh, when they got pregnant and how far along they are. And we keep the ones that are, going to 
calve early in the calving season. And then those other heifers that got bred a little later, we can sell those as, as bred heifers and still get some, maybe get some better value out of those than selling them as a, a feeder heifer. Yeah, like, so, so that might be a good approach. I like that idea. Yeah. And the, the other thing to think about too, from a, from a health perspective is, um, you know, heifers typically don't have the highest quality colostrum. And so if we think about calf health, um, we want the calves that are born to heifers, if, if, and depending a little on the situation, but if they're calving, uh, especially in a confinement area, we want that group to be the one that has the lowest pathogen exposure. And that, that'd be the group that's first. And so I think, I think there's a lot of health and reproductive reasons to make sure that we're, we're paying attention to those heifers and having them bred early. So they're calving a little bit earlier um, than the rest of the cow herd. Yeah. I think you guys raised some really good points there. So not just for the health reasons, but even for getting them bred back as well as the labor. And Brian, I like your comment. The very first comment you made was early in the calving season when you're fresh. And that's a, a real issue, not just having my labor come at, at one time, uh, but also having that labor come at a time where I'm ready to go the start of the calving season, because it's both potential interventions, but it's a lot of observations, right? Those first few that are calving, you're observing them, you're wanting to make sure that they're doing things right. And, and a lot of this stems from, we've discussed before, but I think one of our real goals is a successful heifer breeding program is realized when the heifer gets bred back for her second calf, right? It's not just her first calf and she had the calf and she's got a live calf. It is, she gets bred back for that second calf. So I think that's an excellent point, guys. I appreciate you taking a little time to follow up. If you didn't listen last week, last week we did talk a little bit more in depth about body condition score as well as that heifer management, how to get them bred a little bit earlier. Uh, Brian, I want to I ask you a question specifically because I saw an article in the news. There's a new BRD test that's coming out, and there, there's this is not infrequent that we'll see new tests for respiratory disease. And, and this particular test is looking to identify specific pathogens more rapidly. And I want to ask you, kind of get your thoughts. Is this going to be a game changer? We've seen other tests like this come out. Uh, is there something that you're looking for in a test for BRD? So, so yeah, there's a couple of things that we, we look for. And, um, again, there's there, I would say the, the philosophies on how we approach diagnostic testing in general, but specific, we'll, we'll focus on BRD are, are kind of all over the place, right? We have, we have some people that feel like, um, if I can at least identify the ones that are sick with that disease, that's enough information for my operation. And, and that's a useful test. And some people are more, if I, I need to know specifically which pathogens are involved so I can maybe make some better decisions, um, whether that's to treat or not, or which specific treatment. So I, th I think it, the answer to the question kind of depends on what level of information do you need for your operation? And so, um, so yeah, we have a, we have a, the, article that you were talking about. Um, it's, it's the technology has been around for a while, um, but this group has now applied it to, to using it for BRD. And um, it's similar to, I'll say similar to uh, a PCR test, which is a diagnostic test that we've had a long time. Um, you, you're basically looking for pathogen DNA 
or RNA. Okay, so it's detecting genetic material for the pathogen. So it tells you specifically which which pathogens are present, whether it's a virus or a bacteria. Um, this one specifically, the advantage to it, and you asked about things we look for in a, a BRD test, fast and cheap, right? Those are the, that's the kind of the holy grail. Um, we assume that it's accurate, right? We, it needs to be accurate, otherwise it doesn't go any further. But um, what we're really looking for is fast and cheap. And so this one, um, it's like PCR. The difference is, is it, it's more of a, you can do it at room temperature. And so um, it, it is a technology that we can apply uh, cow side, right? So it can, it can be ran in a facility. You know, if you have a hospital facility on your farm, it, it can be ran there. Um, so it meets our, our fast criteria. Um, I, I think this one's still a little bit in the developmental phases. And so it, we don't know what test cost is going to be. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, like you said, there, there have been other technologies that have kind of come along in the past and um, if it, if it meets those criteria and it meets the goals of the operation, as far as what information they need to make decisions, then it'll probably be employed. And if it doesn't meet those criteria, um, it probably won't go much further. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I think I've seen is, is, um, in agriculture, a lot of times we use, we've used technology to both improve efficiency and maybe decrease some labor costs and things like that. But there is still a lot of value of just the hard work of good animal husbandry, just putting, spending time with the cattle and things like that. And so I'm going to, I could, I can straddle the, I like new technology when it really provides some benefit, but there's a lot of places where just the hard work of spending time with the cattle, um, the, the old, old fashioned way, just walk the cattle, work the cattle, uh, still it. And I would actually, I would love for technology to replace that. I don't think it has yet. So I'll just throw that out there. Yeah, I, I agree with Bob. I, I don't think, I don't think new technology has replaced that. And maybe I'll clarify a little bit. I don't think any one new technology has completely replaced that. I think probably where we're heading is where we take this kind of multifaceted approach where we have more than one tool available to help us get whatever answer it is we're looking for. Uh, it, you know, and we've talked a lot about labor recently. And so, yeah, it's, it's great if you can have people that can spend time with the cows and people that are highly qualified and no cattle, but we don't, we're rapidly getting away from that. And so I think, you know, maybe, maybe some of these technologies are just a little bit ahead of their time. And when we get to the tipping point where we're, we just have labor that aren't cow people, then we need to help them become better cow people. Sometimes these tools are used as a training aid where I think if I'm that person that's doing the, I think this cattle, this, this animal is sick with BRD, but I'd really like some confirmation that what I'm seeing is right. And that's where a tool like this has, has a place. And, and maybe we're just a little bit ahead of that curve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where you bring up a good point, Brian, that it may be useful as a training aid. So this looks like this, and then the test confirms it, but you may not use it on every case. Or as, as Bob said, it's combined with our good animal husbandry, good animal observation skills to, to really make some good diagnoses. But I think one thing we've learned as we go through and look at many of these tests, 
hardly any of them are going to be standalone without input from a person, right? You're going to you're going to have to have some input from a person along the way. So our, we did get a listener question, and I wanted to spend time following up on that. Dustin, I'm going to ask you first. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about profitability in the cow-calf operation, and we said, hey, what, is a, what does a good cow-calf producer need to do to increase profitability? And one of the responses from a listener was, hey, I'm going to throw a theory out for you guys to kick around. And the theory is, really, we need to focus on increasing stocking rate so that you have more outputs per fixed costs. And as you dig into that a little bit and the support for it was, we have better feed efficiency, we have better in the cows, then we potentially have better profitability. Dustin, I wanna get your thoughts first and then I know everybody else has thoughts on this one as well. So this is a pretty broad question. Uh, you said, how do we increase profitability in the herd? And specifically you said increasing stocking rate on a fixed assets. Uh, I, I probably would agree with that. If you can, you know, get more cat or pounds uh, per asset would be a way to increase it. Although that's probably a, a general comment or a general, I mean, my operation is probably a lot different than, you know, your operation. So you got to be careful there. It's just, that's just a top of the head thought. Each operation is going to be a little different. We all have different resources. Uh, and, and a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, some research that using the KFMA, Kansas Farm Management Association, look at the cow-calf, look at the profitability. And we said we got these high profit producers and these low profit producers. Uh, some of the high profit producers actually had more acres per cow compared to low profit producers. Well, well that doesn't seem, this kind of, it doesn't seem right, which goes against what we just said here. Well, again, it's probably because those operations are in western Kansas versus eastern Kansas. So it comes back to my point. Every operation is going to be a little different. You need to know what the resources are for those particular operations. That's just my initial off the my initial cut, I guess. I guess I'd like to get, I know Bob's got probably a, a thousand ideas here. Yeah, you think I might have an opinion? So actually some of the work that Philip and I have been really working on, I mean, so yes, more production per acre is positively associated with profitability, but um, there's, there's long-term and then there's, um, it, so I can't, certainly I can't increase stocking rate and damage the, the forage base. Uh, and so really it's, there is, let me say it this way. I think Phil would agree. There's a lot of value in getting as much from your forage as possible. So really good forage management. Uh, so whether that's, you know, some cross fencing, water development, get rid of the trees that don't belong there, you know, just everything you can do to good forage production is probably on the right side of improving profitability. So, um, and so we're, we're focusing a lot on, on forage management and, and work and I am a cow guy. Um, and, and so I definitely, you know, so reproductive efficiency, growth efficiency, those are important, but dang, the, the forage efficiency is really important too. Maybe, maybe even more important. I hate to say that, but maybe more important than the cow efficiency. Oh, Bob, I think, I mean, I think you're on the right track there. I mean, forage obviously has a big impact on how much feed costs we have, which we know is the one of the largest variable costs in our, our operation. But maximizing that forage use is, is really tough from a year to year standpoint, because the production is not the same every year, you know, it, it varies up and down. And so 
for a, a solely cow calf operation, it becomes really hard to um, match that forage production with the number of cows because they can't fluctuate stocking rate very well. So, you know, some of the ways to think about this, especially in environments where droughts are fairly frequent, is that, that my cow herd may be relatively low, but then I bring in stockers or something like that to use that extra forage when I have it. And then I can, in, in low production years, I just don't bring in the stocker calves, you know, things like that. And so I can increase the income per acre by doing that um, and not overgraze in those low production years where it's going to hurt my forage productivity for the next two, three years because I overgrazed it during that, that, that drought year. Yeah. So, so I have a, uh, maybe I'll throw out a different comment and the, the listener question qualified it and, it, and it, you know, it's how does a good cow calf producer increase profitability? But, you know, we're talking about forage feed efficiency and forage management and things like that. How, how much of a difference do you think cow calf just out the, the average cow calf producer could make by looking at different marketing channels or, I mean, are, are we, are we pinching pennies and not paying attention to the dollars on this? I mean, are there are other things. And the, and the question was about that kind of the feed and stocking rate. So, but I, I think there are other things out there. If you're, if you're really looking to increase profitability, there's probably a lot of other things you could consider too, right? Yeah. I think one of the things we, we looked at a little bit was, you know, try, so you, you shave a few dollars off a of cost you try to improve some reproductive efficiency and, and get it as high as optimum, not maximum, but optimum, and then get a few more dollars from marketing. And that's marketing your cull cows as well as your, you know, so it, it's just the hard work of doing all facets, the forage management, the cow management, the marketing. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of hard work, but this is a hard business. Yeah, I, I think I would agree, Bob. It's, there's, there's not one silver bullet. Let me put it that way. That If I do this right, I'm going to be profitable. There's, you've got to do all the little things right to maximize profit. And, and so it's paying attention to details and, and, and managing every aspect well. But Dustin started out by saying, and I, and I think you guys are all on the right track, and Dustin started out with saying each operation a little bit different. Right. So understand what drives your operation, whether that's the forage or the cow size or or some of the other aspects, there's trade-offs. And, and Bob, just as you said there, you're trying to optimize. So dis distinguish optimize in that scenario. You, you've got to be able to manage that to have your operation have the right both stocking rate as well as production inputs and outputs. Dustin's talked about the expenses, but we also want to be sure that we get adequate uh, income for those calves based on those marketing strategies. Does that kind of incorporate what you guys are saying? Yeah. 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 So basically we answered the question from this listener of uh, you just got to do everything right. Yeah. And it's hard. <laughs> so, and, it's, so he said, and, it's, he's, and it's unique for where you live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, there's no, there's no simple, just like we were talking on the BRD test, right? There's no silver bullet. There's no one size fits all answer. And is stocking rate important? Absolutely. Philip's other point that, that he brought up, which I think is great, uh, 
your stocking rate's important for when, right? Is it important for a dry year? Is it is it matched for a dry year? Is it matched for a, a normal year? Is it matched for a wet year? You may have to adjust and it's not easy to do that with cows. So we appreciate you sending in questions. We appreciate uh, you listening with us. If you have any other questions, anything else you'd like us to talk about on a future episode, you can certainly send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.